I was thinking this week about that passage in John chapter 3 where Jesus meets with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is asking Jesus these questions about how he might be saved, and Jesus says this weird saying, and if you know John chapter 3 or you know John at all, you know that uh, Jesus' answer was, you must be born again. You must be born again. And if you grew up in the church at all, which I, I did, but if you grew up in the church, that may sound like a, a common term. You, term. you have to be born again, a born again Christian. We talk about it like it's a normal saying, but in reality, when Nicodemus would have heard those words, his brain would have went, what? In fact, what he responded with was, do I need to go back into my mother's womb again? How does this happen? Rebirth? I don't know what you're really talking about, but uh, Jesus said you must be born again. And on the day that we choose to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are indeed, the Bible tells us, born again. We are reborn. We are regenerated. We've been given a new heart. Now, this Holy Spirit has been placed within us, and we literally go from death to life. This is the reason that when someone comes up to the altar, you're meeting with someone on the street, and they tell you they want to follow Jesus, or they say, hey, I, I hear what you're talking about, and I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's the reason that we should stop just going, okay, that's, that's great. Let me pray with you. I'm a sinner in need of salvation. And, and you get through the prayer and say amen. You're like, congratulations. Give me a hug. No, if, we, if you were literally on the street and someone was dead and they were laying on the street and they were without life and you laid your hands on them or God spoke down and said, okay, now wake up and they came back to life, would you not be shouting about it? This born again concept, it's like, okay, if I really believe that someone went from death to life in my presence, I'm going to shout about it. I'm going to be excited about this rebirth. But what I want to ask you tonight is if you've been born again in Jesus Christ, what would it look like if you never grew? What would it look like if you were born again and you're this new babe in Christ and you never grew? You stayed right where you were for the rest of your life on this earth. You never grew. You stayed an infant in the faith for the rest of your life. And while that sounds tragic and it sounds extreme, I believe it's possible. I believe that Paul says it's possible. In Hebrews chapter 5, where we'll turn tonight, if you want to turn there in your Bible, we'll spend a great deal of time here. But Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse number 12. Three things I want to show you tonight. I want to talk about being spiritual babies. I want to remind us that spiritual babies don't grow by time. Time doesn't grow you. And finally, I want to talk about spiritual maturity and what it means to go from manna to produce, from milk to solid food. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse number 12. I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. That's up for debate, but not for me. Uh, I believe that Paul wrote it, and this is what he says. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You ought to be teachers. If some of you have taken the class that I, I'll teach on, uh, on sharing the gospel, when we talk about ought, is, can, will be. There's that ought word. It means it should be this way. Paul says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you should be teachers by now, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You ought to be teachers, but instead you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of of the oracles of God. Paul says, you need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice 
to distinguish good from evil. Paul says, you ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be spiritually mature. You ought to be passing on what you know about Jesus Christ to others, but instead, you're still being spoon-fed with milk. I believe that Paul is writing to, uh, he's writing this uh, passage of Scripture, but I don't think this is a new problem, and I don't think it's a problem that ceased after the canon of Scripture was closed. In fact, I think if we go further back, we're going to see that Israel had the same problem that Paul discusses here. You ought to be teachers. You ought to be spiritually mature. You, above all else, ought to know who God is, but instead, you're being spoon-fed. I want to take you on a journey. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 5 in just a moment. Joshua chapter 5. You don't have to turn. You can turn to Joshua chapter 5, but I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 16. So turn with me to Joshua chapter 5, and I'm going to show you that Israel had this problem with the Lord. You ought to be teachers. You ought to understand The people of Israel had this covenant relationship with God. And if you remember in our Bible study, we talk about the three things that God made covenant with Israel. Now, a covenant is something special. A covenant is something that if I am a person who loves you, I will make a promise to you about our relationship. And my covenant is that I will keep that promise with you. Usually a covenant is returned. It says I'm going to make covenant with you. And that covenant is going to have something I give you and you give me. It's a both ways deal, a both ways relationship. God made a covenant with Israel. He said, you will be my people and I will be your God. And he promised three things specifically to the people of Israel. If you remember them by the three P's that I use, that's okay. If not, that's okay too. I know we had a debate about this Thursday. But the three things God promised Israel, people. He said, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars, a place, the promised land and relationship. You will be my people and I will be your God. People, place, promise or relationship. He made this covenant with the people of Israel. And if you know the Bible, then you know that after Joseph was leader in Egypt, the years went by and Joseph was forgotten and the people of Israel found themselves in slavery. The book of Exodus tells us about this, this leading by God out of the place of Egypt, out of slavery. They've been delivered, but they've not yet been matured. They've been delivered from slavery, but they've not yet been matured. You don't have to turn there, but if we were to go to Exodus chapter 16, I'm going to read it for you. But where the people of Israel find themselves is they have been led out of Egypt. They've been led across the Red Sea. They've seen God do miraculous and powerful things. If anybody should know that God loves them and that they want more of him, it should be the people of Israel in this moment. But the Bible says that they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel. This is Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. All the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So two months have passed, or or a month and 15 days has passed, and they're going into the wilderness, and they realize that they don't have food. In this period, we believe that Israel would have been about 2.2 million people strong. That's a lot of people to feed. They've seen God do miraculous things for them. They're in the wilderness and they realize, you know what? We don't have anything to eat. 2.2 million people without anything to eat. And the Bible says the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt 
when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the, this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now church, I'm going to be blunt with you for a moment and I'm going to ask you to love me anyway. This is the equivalent of the church being delivered by the Lord their God, being forgiven and offered salvation and eternal life, being sent into God's kingdom, being asked to serve the Lord, and when they don't like something in their church, they grumble and complain about what's going on, forgetting what God has done for them. Can I just be honest with you? That's where we're at right now. I'm not talking about the sower or any other church that I'm involved in. I'm talking about the church in general. You will see this everywhere you go. A group of people that God has literally redeemed them, taking them from death to life. And then we will complain about things like the music, the preaching, or the look of the building. Amen? Here's a group of people that are are grumbling because they say, well, we could have stayed in Egypt and died if we were just going to die here of hunger. Take us back to slavery if we're going to die of hunger. They've seen God deliver them over and over again, and now they're struggling to believe that God has them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now God literally rains down bread from heaven for the people of Israel. We call that bread manna. Fun fact, manna basically means, what is it? What is it? In essence, God rains down this bread from heaven, and it's sweet, and it's this, this providence, and when they taste it, I guess they don't really know anything like it, so they call it, what is it? Manna. And God says, I want you every day to go and take a, a omer for each person, and I want you to take just that amount home, and you're going to store it on days one through six, but on, the, on one through five, and on the sixth day, I want you to take double, because on the seventh, you're going to take Sabbath, And I want you to have what is left over for the Sabbath day so you don't work. Naturally, the people of Israel don't listen, so they gather more manna than they're supposed to, and it turns rotten. It turns rotten every day but the sixth day because God knows what he's doing, and when they gather double on the sixth day, God allowed it to be preserved. Why do I tell you this? Because the people of Israel were receiving from God. It was the equivalent of where I believe many uh, people in the church are today. And and remember, I I love you. I really do. I love you. But many people in the church today, especially in America, it's become consumer driven. And so if I had to give you an illustration of what they looked like, I would put a faucet here in front of you and I would open my mouth like this and they would stand there and just go like so. Take, 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 give in, pour it in. Pour it in, pour it in. God, I want you to give to me. It's going to be no interaction. Just rain the bread down from heaven. I'll pick it up. I got to do nothing. Just feed me, feed me, feed me. And what I want to share with you is there's nothing wrong with that initially. When you come to Jesus Christ, you should put yourself, find a pastor. Now, now hear me. Uh, find a, a pastor, teachers in the church, folks that can lead you, that can disciple you. Every person in this room right now, I tell you because I love you, you need someone that's discipling you. You need someone that's holding you accountable. And then you need someone that you you are discipling. And when you first come to Christ, it's okay to come and hear the messages and hear the sermons and listen to the podcast and read the books and take and take and take and take as much as you can. Let the faucet run with good teaching. Now, I want to clarify that. When Paul preached the gospel to uh, the church in Thessalonica, he, he preached it and they listened to what he said. They took it at face value and then he went to Berea and they listened to what he said and they took the scriptures and they listened to Paul. Now we know Paul, right? We trust Paul. Amen. We trust Paul. 
But Paul says the church in Berea were more noble because they listened to what he said and then they checked the word of God to make sure that what he was saying was true. Hear me, it's okay to take and take and take as a new believer, as a baby in Christ. Receive, receive, receive. Hear all the word you can get, all the preaching you can get, all the teaching. Dive into the books, the commentaries. Please do it. However, even when I, tonight, I want you to go home, I want you to read Joshua, read Exodus, read Hebrews, read them for yourself and decide if what I say is true. I hope you love me. Don't take everything that I say as if it's the word from the Lord. Go check it. Go check it. But the people of Israel were content in this moment to take this manna and to just pick it up off the ground and not engage at all in the covenant that God had made for them. And initially, there's nothing wrong with that. But at some point, God is asking them to grow out of this faithless position and to interact with the covenant that God has made. And tonight, I want to tell you, we can be in the same position, stuck in the infancy stage of our faith, stuck as babies, where we are simply taking and receiving, and we're not interacting with what God has for us. Our mouths are open and milk is being poured in. Let me tell you what I believe this looks like, at least in my experience in my teenage years. I grew up in the church. I would tell you I was following Christ, and week after week after week, I can tell you, especially at revivals, because I grew up Pentecostal at revivals, youth events, things like that, I would be up at this altar, y'all, and every time someone would say something that struck me emotionally, I'd be coming up here, and I would just be diving in. Jesus, I want to re-give my life to you. Please, Lord, I need you, which there's nothing wrong with that, but I was constantly going through cycles of that infancy, infancy stage of my faith, where every time there was an emotional high or someone caught my attention or I heard a story that I liked. I was recommitting my life to Jesus and I was never diving in for myself to grow as a believer. Amen? So number one tonight, it is possible that we get stuck in the infancy stage of our faith. But number two, I want you to know that you will not grow. If you're saying tonight that I've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years, so obviously I'm not an infant. I want to remind you tonight that spiritual babies do not grow by time. Spiritual babies do not grow by time. This is not a process where simply by choosing to follow Christ and never diving into His Word for yourself and never spending time in prayer for yourself and never serving Him and discipling others and being a teacher or someone who disciples others, it's not a process where you're not doing those things but you're still growing just because you knew Jesus 20, 30 years ago. That's not how it's intended to work. Spiritual babies do not grow by time. The Bible says in Joshua, the the scenario is this, this, this generation of Israel that's receiving the manna. At some point, they even grumble about the manna. The manna is not good enough for them. They wish they had a variety in what they could eat, and they grumble, and they complain, and they're disobedient to God in other ways. And at some point, God says, you all are not going to see the promised land. My covenant stays, but you're not developing. My covenant's in place, but you're not being obedient. My covenant, it remains with Israel, but you guys aren't getting it. You're not going to see the promised land, but the next generation is. And all these years, 40 years, they eat manna. And I'll be honest, if I'm eating the same food for 40 years, I don't know about you, but I'm probably getting tired of it. I had McDonald's twice this week, and that was two times as too many. But it's what my son wanted, 
and he was good at soccer, so it's all good. <laughs> I can understand them getting tired of the food, but it was about more than the food. It was about they weren't developing and they wanted to just take and take and take from God and have it both ways and not interact with the covenant that he had given them. And so that generation passes away and a leader takes over whose name is Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 5, there's this moment where finally, finally, the people of Israel, after 40 years of wandering, reach the promised land. And when they get there, the sign of the covenant for the people of Israel, many of you will know, is circumcision. And during that time in the wandering, whether it's because they didn't have the tools or whatever the reason was, or because of their faithlessness, they were not circumcised. And so that covenant, God had still held it in place, but the part that Israel had to do to engage in it was not being done. So in Joshua chapter 5, the Bible says that, that they were circumcised, that the whole nation of Israel, I mean, imagine that 2.2 million people, all the men in that group were circumcised. And it says that when the circumcising, this is verse number 8 in chapter 5 of Joshua, when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. So God protected them through that healing process, and the Lord said to Joshua, verse 9, Today, notice this, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Forty years has passed. Forty years ago, God delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. But 40 years later, God says, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Paul says, all this time has passed. You should be teachers by now. You should be spiritually mature by now. You should be pouring into others by now. Forty years passed for Israel before there was a group that was ready to go further with God. That says something to me. I don't know about you. Forty years had passed. Time it doesn't equal maturity. When the students were going through, uh, COVID had just started and my son was in virtual learning. And uh, I won't even ask you to raise your hand if virtual learning affected you or your family, um, but it affected ours. And one of the things that I learned was it really didn't matter how long my son was in class on that computer. He wasn't growing. Time was not making him a better student. He is the most distracted. If you know him, he is, he's very smart, but he's a distracted kid. He probably got that from Jordan. But he's very distracted, and he's all over the place. And if another kid's talking, my man wants to go jump on the soccer ball or play with the dogs. Like, he's always got something. So virtual learning, there was a lot of time that was going by for him, but that time was not growing him. He wasn't engaged with what was happening, and so we are still seeing a, a lag from that time for him. It affected him deeply because time doesn't mean growth. And so I want to offer you tonight, Listen to what happened for the people of Israel. Verse number 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. So they've been circumcised and now they celebrate Passover together. In essence, this is Israel's part in reinstituting the covenant that God has made with them. God has kept the covenant. Now Israel says, we're going to recommit ourselves to you. And on that day, that very day, as, they, as the, the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land. Do you see what's happening? Produce is made from cultivation. God's still the one making it, 
but to gather produce, it's coming from the land being cultivated. It's no less a gift from God, but the people are engaged in what they're eating. They ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And listen to this, verse number 12, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. This is a beautiful moment. The manna God provided, but Israel stumbled upon it. They're wanderers. The produce God provided, but Israel sought it, sought it and cultivated it. That's home. I was watching my wife, Nanny uh, G, this week, and I was really thinking about it because we're looking at babies and infants and uh, spiritually mature, and I'm watching G, which is the little baby that she watches. It's our family member, and he's the coolest kid on the planet. Like, the kid is just, he's a good kid. I'm not saying some babies are bad, but some babies are bad. <laughs> and this kid is good, and I'm just watching him, and he's sitting in his high chair, and my man is, like, equally good and mischievous at the same time, and I, don't, I didn't know that was possible, but it gives me hope for myself and I'm watching him, and he's literally like, he takes his eggs and his sausage and everything. Like, he'll look at you, and he'll look right at you dead in the eye, and he'll smirk. He'll just kind of go. And throw it on the floor. And I watch my wife, and she's like picking another piece of sausage up and like giving it to him and picking his bottle up and his passy up and giving it back to him in the chair. And I caught myself going, oh, my goodness, I want to be a baby again. I mean, I'm watching this guy like he is, he is hustling around the house and like he falls and my wife like catches him and my wife watched me trip on the rug the other day and she laughed all the way down. She didn't try to catch me. And I'm watching and I'm thinking, you know what, part of me, I want to be a baby again. And this week, it got rough. My, aunt, my aunt's passing away, and I, I'm not trying to get, but it's just been a rough week. And there was a point where I hit it. I'm, I'm doing soccer tryouts, and that was stressful as all get out. And I'm just like, Lord, make me a baby again. But you know what? When I got to thinking about it, and I was reading these passages, I realized, you know what? There's a lot of ups to being a baby. But there's also a lot of downs. And if I really thought about it, you know, he gets fed, he gets picked up, he's cared for from the beginning of the day to the end. The kid gets two, na two naps a day. Like, oh my goodness, I, I, when I nap, I'm, I'm called lazy. Like, he gets two naps a day. All these great things for him. But when you think about it, he's helpless. He's defenseless. He doesn't get food unless someone puts it in his mouth. If you don't catch him when he falls, he's not going to just... Avoid injury. His arms aren't going to go down. He's not going to tuck and roll like I do. Uh, they call it the Rudy roll, the back leg. He's just, he's, he's defenseless. He's vulnerable. He's easily damaged. He is entirely dependent. And don't get me wrong, I want to be entirely dependent on the Lord. But God has invited you, my friends, to engage in what he's doing for you. I don't want to be a baby the rest of my life. What happens for the people of Israel, it may sound like it is, it is toil and it is work, but make no mistake, when the Bible says the manna ceased, the people of Israel are celebrating because they're not wandering anymore. They're not stumbling upon food anymore. They're not acting like children that have to wait for their next meal. They are now engaging in what God is doing for them. They're now in a place that they can call home. 
Spiritual maturity, Paul says, listen, they do manna and produce, but Paul says milk and solid food. There's this transition that should happen for each of us where we begin to engage in the covenant that God has made with you. People, place, promise. God is saying to you through Jesus Christ, he says, listen, Jesus said, I want you to be born again. But he didn't just say that. He said the work that he began in you, he's going to see through to completion. He wants you to be a finished product. Now, I believe that when you come to Jesus Christ, you receive salvation. There is an instantaneous, when you place your faith in the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and who rose from that grave, is resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and is coming back again. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, instantaneously, you go from death to life, from old creature to new creature. Something amazing and miraculous and powerful happens in that moment moment. And just like that, the worst thing that you ever did is thrown into the depths of the sea. It's cast as far as the east is from the west. And in a moment, God looks at you and he calls you clean and he calls you righteous, not because you are good, but because he sees his son in you. It is the best news that's ever been told, and it is an immediate thing. But I want you to know, God is not finished with you in that moment. In that moment, the Bible says that God literally, the the Holy Spirit indwells you. This is why I talk so much about how we can't talk about the triune God as Father, Son, and Holy. You would literally be neglecting the part of the triune God that indwells you, empowers you, sanctifies you, and enables you to share the gospel. Now, I think it should be said the Spirit points to Christ in all that the Spirit does. It's all about Jesus Christ. But the Spirit is literally how you live this life. And it begins in that moment. It's instantaneous. You are, you are being sanctified. But that goes on. Sanctification is an ongoing process. Now, John Wesley would teach that at some point you could be entirely perfected. He simply meant that you could be completed in love. I believe that you will be ongoing in that process. You're going to be sanctified, a fancy word that means set apart, made pure. But I want to tell you that in order to do that, God is asking you to engage with him, to allow him to work in your heart. It is a a two-way relationship. Not because God needs you to be involved, but because he invites you to be involved. Spiritual maturity involves you making the decision, and it is your decision. I'll be honest with you. We are in a world where it is easy. I don't think it's right. Notice I said easy, not right. It's easy to stay at home and and follow the best preacher you can find on the TV. And you could be fed for the rest of your life. You could sit at home and you could hear good preaching, good teaching. But it is the equivalent of picking up the manna day after day while God is asking for you to make yourself at home with him and to eat produce. It is the equivalent of opening your mouth and receiving the milk that is being poured in rather than making yourself a meal and enjoying where God is taking you. 
It is possible, but it does not make it right. And so I want to encourage you tonight to go from manna to produce, from milk to solid food. Because whether you've been following Jesus, I have seen, I was asked in an interview recently uh, before a, a large group of people, but one of the questions, and I don't think it would, uh, it, I would, they would mind me sharing it, but one of the questions was, uh, you're 29. How do you think that you, will, uh, you have the spiritual maturity to, to lead? My answer is simple. Growth is not about time. Now, I'm not saying this in an arrogant way, but I will get from what I, the time I spend with God, I will, I will glean from that time. And I've slacked lately, I'll be honest with you. In the busyness of life and between uh, coaching and, and the churches and all these excuses that I make for myself, I've slacked. But I want to tell you tonight, if you choose to follow Christ tonight and you dedicate yourself, in the next week you could be further along in your maturity with the Lord than someone that's been following Him for 30 years and not been in the Word. And I don't say that to call out the oldest Christian in the room. I say that to challenge that person that maybe has not dove into the Word and in prayer as much as they could, like me. And I say it to encourage the new believer. Paul says you, you, ought, you ought to be teachers. The book of Hebrews was not written that far after the church was started. There's not been that much time passed. I think it amazes me that we set these requirements in the church today that I've had to get a Masters of Divinity to, to be a pastor at one point and all these things. And it just amazes me that uh, those are not the qualifications that the Bible sets for an elder or a deacon. And what I believe, to be honest with you, is that we set things like seminary in place and we hold them so high and I'm not degrading them because it is, I've enjoyed the process, I've grown through it. But I believe that we've set things like an education and time and experience as a parameter because we're scared to meet the actual qualifications of an elder and a deacon. Because I'll just say it because it's why God has placed me on this earth, but when I look around and I look at the church today, I don't think I can count on two hands the amount of pastors, teachers, elders, deacons that meet the qualifications of an elder and a deacon, even if they meet that seminary qualification. Maturity is not about time. It's about time with the Lord. It's about diving into the Word. How do we do it? I want to encourage you, and I do this with the teenagers, so I'll do it with the adults tonight, and I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud like they do, uh, because... Maybe they're just brave. But I ask them about quarterly. How much time have you spent in the Word this week? Now some of them will say, and some of you would maybe say in your mind, ah, well, twice. Thursdays and Saturdays when we're together. How much time have you spent in prayer? Ah, well, I pray for my meal. pray when I'm with you. These are some of the answers that I, I hear. Teenagers are bold, they'll say it, but how many of us would that be true as well? What I want to tell you tonight, and I know that sometimes I can seem like I'm harsh, but church, I believe in you. I believe in the body of Christ. And I believe that it should look different than what it looks like right now as a whole, especially in America. I believe it should be more powerful, more full of joy, more excited, 
more on mission and focus, more on the things that matters, not sitting in meetings where we talk for two hours about decorations on the church while there's thousands of people out there that don't know Jesus. I believe it looks different. And so you're stuck with me, unfortunately. This is the, the heart that God has asked me to play, but I believe it's an important one that we would know that God is asking us to grow. Because I don't know about you, but every time I feel convicted, tonight being one of those times, this week being one of those times, I've not spent the time with the Lord that I should be spending. I have played this one video game. I'm, I'm just going to confess before everybody. This one video game has taken way too much of my time this week. And it's Vincent's, Vincent's fault. I love you, man. You didn't, but you made it sound really good. But in those times that I feel convicted, it doesn't take long to think about what my Jesus did for me to get excited again. You know, I have never, we talked about it this week, but I have never had a time where I opened up God's Word or I got on my knees in prayer that I left it worse off than I started. Not a single time, not once did I regret spending time in God's Word. Not a one time did I go into my prayer closet and come out feeling worse than I went in. I might have felt convicted or challenged, but those things are about growth. And so I want to ask you tonight, are we willing to grow together? To dive into God's Word for yourself? Listen, don't not come back next week because I told you to go get into it for yourself. I try my best to be true to God's Word. I, I do try to, to do my best to do that. But go home and be in it for yourself. Feed yourself. Allow God to feed you. Allow Him to give you that solid food. I believe every person in this room, the Holy Spirit can speak to you. I am not willing to say that the Spirit has stopped. No, He's always going to be in agreement with the Word of God. But I believe God still speaks. And I believe if you will go home and you will open up your Word and you will ask God, speak to me through your Word. Please give me something I've never seen before. Every single one of you will receive that. Amen? Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you for the time that you've given us together, God. I just thank you, God, uh, for who you are, for your love for us, for your mercy and your grace. God, I, I thank you that we can come in here and know that we are children of God, Lord, that we can meet in this place and that we can know we are, we are a part of your kingdom. Heavenly Father, I ask you tonight that you would help us to, to live that out. Lord God, that we would feel that tonight. And Lord, if there's a single person in here that feels like an outcast, that feels like they're on the outside looking in, that feels that hole in their heart, that need, that burden, Lord, that they feel like they are not at peace and that joy is not there. God, if there's a person in here that as I talk about Jesus, Lord, there's a, an uncomfortable stirring inside of them or someone online, Lord, God, that is hearing every time we talk about Jesus, Lord, that it's just unsettling them. God, first, I pray for deliverance. I pray that you would, re you would remove the work of the enemy from them. Lord God, that you would remove any strongholds or barriers that, that have been placed in the way, that you would remind them that there is victory in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would make the way right now. Lord, no preacher, no teacher, no evangelist, no person on the street sharing the gospel has ever saved a single soul. It's your Holy Spirit that makes the way. And God, we ask that you would warm hearts tonight, Lord God, that you would begin to make that way and to draw that person unto yourself, Lord God. And we ask, Lord, that tonight would be the night, Lord. I'm not going 
going to ask them to raise their hand or come to the front, Lord. This is between you and them, and I pray that you would give them the boldness after to share it with the church family. But God, I ask you if there's a person tonight, Lord, that needs to know that good news, not just know it intellectually, Lord God, but to give their heart to you. Lord, I pray that they would know that there is uh, the one true God who loves them so much that you sent your son. You didn't have to, but you chose to. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, to live a perfect life in a way that we could not without sin or blemish, and that that same Jesus went to the cross willingly for their sin, for my sin, for my brokenness, for their brokenness. And he took all of that sin and brokenness upon himself on that cross. He took all of your wrath upon himself, Lord God. He paid the price that they owe and I owed. Heavenly Father, let them know, Lord God, that they by name are known by Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross for them. God, draw that person unto yourself, Lord God, to know you as Lord and Savior and to know that it is not a vain hope, but it is a hope in a Jesus Christ, your son who didn't remain in that grave, who did not remain in death, but the tomb was empty. And he walked and he talked with his disciples and he ascended back to the right hand of the Father where he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Lord, if there's a person tonight that heard what I just said, make it real in their hearts in a way that only you can do. And God, give them the boldness and the courage by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak that truth to someone else that we can walk together. Lord, we thank you for our church family. Grow us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Convict us where we need convicting. Challenge us where we need challenging. Comfort us where we need comforting. Give us joy and peace beyond understanding. We thank you for our church family. We thank you, God, for those that are new in the faith. We thank you, God, for those that are maturing in the faith. And God, we thank you that you are unending. You are all-powerful. Your riches are beyond measure, Lord God, that there is no point where we can know you to a degree that we cannot know you more. So give us more of you, Lord. More of you, God. We need more of you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Ooh.